DJ and PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Time now to talk Utah football with Frank Dolce, insider for the Zone Sports Network, the former Ute quarterback, broadcaster. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. Morning, PK. Hope you guys are doing well. Great. So I was uh, pretty excited for a big weekend of football and the Utah-Arizona game, and then uh, Lucy pulled the football away from Charlie Brown, and I landed flat on my back. Should I try to kick the ball this week, or should I dial down my expectations? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think we'll uh, – I don't know. I, I'm going to approach each week with the same kind of enthusiasm and then just deal with the disappointment if <laughs> it's canceled, I guess. Uh, I, I, the way that the Pac-12 has managed this, I, I mean, I, I wonder if we're going to see a team in, in, on either in the South or the North, maybe both, that ends up with a three-game season. Um, it's not, it, and, and there's no leeway, like you guys have mentioned plenty of times, to, to make up for lost games. So I, I just think as we look back on this, a year down the road, maybe sooner, we'll just say this. Well, this was kind of managed funny by the by the Pac-12 and didn't give the teams a real opportunity to get out and compete. So yeah, I can see that scenario happening. It really calls into mind, as far as me, the legitimacy of an actual conference race. If you're only playing three or four games, I don't see how you could declare yourself a winner of anything beyond those individual games. No, I I think by the by by the way this is occurring, the, the Pac-12 has just removed themselves from any sort of you know conversation about playoffs or I, I don't know even bowl games or whatever else is going to to occur just just because you're not going to have a I mean it is a, it is a weird year so you have to take that into consideration but but I don't know how you do that with a team that that has a you know, maybe a three or four game schedule under their belt. And that's, you know, maybe they go, maybe they go four and oh or whatever it is or, but, but I, I just don't, I think by the way that they've managed it, they've, they've removed themselves from any post season conversation. Five and oh, Oregon, 10 and oh, BYU, Fiesta Bowl, January 2nd. Are you in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, I think that could be, I mean, that is as compelling a story as anything else, isn't it? I mean, you take a, because both sides would be screaming about it, you know, uh, an undefeated BYU team. And, hey, we have 10 games under our belt. We are clearly the superior program. And Oregon is saying, you know, well, even with five games, we'll, you know, we're going to show you what football is all about. So, I, I actually, now that you put it that way, that could be a compelling match. And I love to see, you know, you know, a two-win Utah because they only had two games on their schedule take on a ten and zero BYU and some bowl game at the end of the year. Oh yeah, man, that would be sweet for our perspective, and that's all I care about. Well, not all that I care about. I mean, but ninety-nine percent of what I care about. Yeah, right. <laughs> the other guy, I care. I, I have compassion a little bit. Not a lot, but but a little bit. 
One of the things that uh, was sort of swept under the rug here a little bit with uh, the game being canceled and all this stuff is the fact that Kyle re-upped for another four years to 2027. Now, if I'm betting, I don't think there's any way he's coaching in 2027, but he has that opportunity. Uh, he talked about it during the uh, his media availability, that it sends a message to the continuity of the program. What do you think about that as far as them extending him to the point where he would be 67 years old? Well, it's interesting because I I was always under the impression that he wasn't going to coach or he didn't feel like he was going to coach much past, you know, uh, his his early 60s. Um, so that's I guess that's something to, to consider. I, I, I wonder if the, the inability to coach because of this virus um, has changed his mind about that, and maybe he thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to coach as long as I can. I know what it's like when I'm not coaching. I'm not, I don't like it. So that, that, could, play, that could play a role in it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you mentioned something, an undertone about the, the contract extension that is valuable, uh, especially with, with recruiting. And that, and that is the continuity of the program. When you have stability, I think that lends itself to, to, you know, going out and finding and acquiring talent. And so as much as anything else, that is that, you know, that's probably something to consider with, with the contract extension is that this is this, among all the, you know, the programs in the Pac-12, this is among or maybe even the most stable. For all the stability, there are surprises. And a couple weeks ago, we Kyle at his media availability, which we are live on our show now because he's doing it at 8.30 in the morning. It's a new schedule for him, but nonetheless, sure works out for us. All of a sudden, and, and I thought the U was getting good tight end play at the, at the end of last year. I thought Cole Fotheringham made some plays. Um, yeah. And then the last third of the season, right. Keithy really came on. And it seemed like a guy yeah. who I didn't really have on my radar at all in the early third of the season kind of emerged in the middle. And then the last third, he was dominating. So the last thing I expected was for Kyle to – Talk about a transfer from the University of San Diego, Dalton Kincaid. I had to look him up and get the backstory. I didn't know anything. But Kyle made it sound like this guy's going to be able to get on the field and contribute right away, which surprises me because they already got guys who can get on the field and contribute. What do you know about him? What do you think? What's the backstory? What can you fill in? Yeah. Well, I, I you know, I think it's, you know, it's interesting that he transferred to Utah. Um and I think he transferred. He may have transferred to Utah just based on last season, what he saw out of the tight end play last season, and thought, well, you know, there's there, that place gives me a great opportunity. I know he's super athletic. Um, I know that Coach Whittingham is very high on him. Uh, <laughs> he's. I, I mean, it's one of those situations where he's going to have to be extraordinarily good to compete for time stepping you know stepping in from another program and, and now trying to learn a new offense and a new scheme with with a couple guys who are very talented and who have worked under Andy Ludwig for for a year 
I, and and so I, I am. I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm not shocked by it, but I'm. You know, it raises my eyebrows when when Coach Whittingham gives such a, a glowing report of a, of a guy that's coming into a position group that I put as um, the second most. Well, there's three position groups on the offense that I feel you know, are, are really well-tuned for the season. That's the offensive line. I, I really like the, the talent at the, at the running back position, maybe a little untested, but I really like the talent back there. And I feel really strongly about the tight end group. I think there's a question mark about the quarterbacks, and I, I still think there's a question mark about the, the, the wide receiving group. Uh, so, so I put in the top three on the offensive side the tight end group, and so to be able to break into that, into that mix, I, I think that's fairly extraordinary. As far as the continuity in the program, <clears throat> who knows what's going to happen down the line? Obviously, but we know that Utah State has an opening, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. I'm of the belief that in the state of Utah, because it's a, you know, a little peculiar, it's a little different. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't have to be a member of the of the of the LDS faith to, to thrive in this community, but you certainly have to be aware of it and what what it's about. So my point is that I think that it's best for these programs to hire what I call one of their own. Now Gary Anderson wasn't necessarily a Utah State guy, but he was a state of Utah guy, and he helped rebuild them, and he did rebuild that program. And you got Kyle who obviously is state of Utah, Kalani, obviously state of Utah, Jay Hill, obviously state of Utah, and these guys are having incredible success. So my thought is for Utah State in the short term when they go make their hire, and then in the long term, however long Kyle coaches, to try to keep it to one of your own in this state because you got to know the inner workings of the state in order to be successful. And I realize Urban Meyer took the world by storm, and there's an exception to everything. But even going back to Ron McBride, he obviously had a working knowledge of the state what do you think about that as far as the so-called one of your own as far as hiring to lead your football programs? I think the state is, uh, is unique in, in that way uh, in understanding the culture a little bit of the, of the state. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd say, you know, hiring one of your own, let's just look at a recent example of, of Ed Orgeron, who was at USC, and probably, as we look back on it, probably should have been the next, not just the interim coach, but the next USC head coach, and then USC decided to kind of stick to that program a little bit. Maybe not one of your own necessarily, but one that looks like your own, I guess. It was the USC philosophy, and they let Orgeron go. And then he turned out, you know, at, at uh, LSU, and he's done a fantastic job. Maybe not as much this year, but, but he's, he's done really well there. So um, I think there's an argument to be made for, for that one of your own. We've seen that within the state. Um, but at the, at where college football sits currently – I think you just have to go and find the most talented guy available, and if he happens to be one of your own, then that then that works out pretty well. Um, 
And if not, then, then maybe you're just going to get a really good coach anyway. So I, I, I still think that, that there's this fraternity in college football uh, and, and specifically within conferences that, that guys like to, if they grew up in a conference and that's where they like to be and that's where their comfort level is and that's where they, and, and maybe that is just, that the culture is why we seem to have this, you know, success of, of people hiring their own is because people just never leave. So you have your own available all the time. That's the call. That's the, that's the culture of college football. But I do, I do agree with you that this, this state is unique and understanding the culture of this state is unique. And that's probably helpful in terms of, of bringing talent in and being successful as a head coach. So let's remove out of the realm of the theoretical, which is interesting, but let's get right down to the ground level. Jay Hill's sitting right there at Weber State. He is one unlike anything we have seen at Weber State. Their three-year run isn't remotely comparable to anything else we've seen. Why not go get him? Uh, I think Jay Hill is the, is the next big thing um, for sure. And I, I feel the same way. Why not? Why not go get them? Uh, and I, I think it's going to take a lot to, you know, <laughs> Jay Hill has this unbelievable loyalty and compassion for, for Weber State. Um, and so I think it's going to take a lot to, to it's going to have to be the re- really uh, the, the right situation and, you know, everything, all the stars kind of align to remove him because that place has been meaningful to him and he's been meaningful to that place and, and to his family. So, uh, but I do think that Jay Hill is the guy, as I look across the landscape, I'm sure you could go out and I'm sure they will. They'll go out and find some hot offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, some guy that, you know, People are talking about whatever, and and maybe make a run, but 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 Jay Hill, just based on what you know, the the what the content of his character, what he's done at, you know, his ability to influence a program that has traditionally had difficulties, um, and the leadership, and I, I just think that there's there's nobody better than than that guy to go and lead Utah State. Yeah, I agree, man. If I'm Utah State, I beg him to come. And uh, the stuff he did with with Weber was just absolutely phenomenal. And I would see no reason why he couldn't do it at the Mountain West level at Utah State. So I don't know that he necessarily wants it. But uh, if I'm Utah State, I would love to have him. We'll see how it plays out. If Even if Utah gets another game that's uh, canceled, if say they only play, you know, you, we joked about the, a three and O Utah team playing a ten and O BYU team and all that. And I still think, though, that no matter how many games they play, that in terms of next year, given the uh, so many guys who don't have as much playing experience, I still think there's some great value in this season, no matter how many games they play, to really set them up for next season to really make a strong run. Obviously, at the division, but more than that, the conference race and, and, and as a whole and winning the whole thing. Well, there, there's there is certainly value. Uh, it, it's just it's such a strange, it's such an odd year um, that that we feel. I, I don't know. I I, feel, I I don't know how to feel about the the, the football season. In fact. Um, I'm, I'm usually a guy that, 
that is tuning in to as many games as possible every weekend. And to be quite honest, I may just kind of catch a bit of a game here and there, follow up with it, highlights later on. Um, but the the whole, you know, the whole college landscape has been, in, and, you know, what society we're going through right now has been so odd that I uh, I find myself interested, as interested in everything else that's happening as, as I usually am in, in college football. And I, I, I'm guessing there's a lot of people that, that are feeling that way. So um, it's not that this year is, is meaningless. And, and I, and, you know, I, I'd like to see these conferences and I think conferences have done it in, in some ways, you know, figure out a way to get these guys on the field and competing and, and just for the health of, of the kids and for, for our communities, I think it's helpful um, to, to have these, these kinds of activities. So, um, I, you know, I don't know what my answer is to that, to your comment. I, it's, it, it's just such an odd year. I, don't, I, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to sit back and kind of ponder this whole thing afterwards. I really don't know how I feel about the whole landscape currently. So I'm kind of ignoring the current landscape and thinking that off what I've read and what I've heard, the Utes have a lot of talent. And it kind of backs up the way the program's been trending. Kyle spotlighted a few guys, a few guys we did see last year. I've heard good things about some of these guys coming in, but we haven't seen anything. So my question is, is three, four, or five games enough of a time period of making mistakes and learning from them, making big plays and getting the confidence like, hey, I'm a playmaker at this level. I, I change games. I make I can get a big pick, I can strip, I can uh, you know strip a quarterback and get a strip sack and, and, uh, and flip the field. I can score a big touchdown, getting that level of confidence in guys and eliminating the mistakes that the Utes will be ready to hit the ground running next September assuming that that is a traditional football season, and they will be back ready to win nine or ten games at minimum and contend for a conference title at minimum, just if they could get three or four or five games under the belt this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think I align with that. Um, is, is, you know, Utah went through this, this funny year. Um, it was it was right before it was the year before Coach Winningham took his his team to the Sugar Bowl, and in that season it was a difficult season. I can't remember what they ended up. Maybe they ended up with they were, you know, they were nine wins. and four. I know what you're talking. They started one and three. They had a big win over UCLA, but got humiliated and shut out at UNLV, and then went eight and nine and lost. Uh, uh, gave up a long pass to Austin Collie on fourth down, fourth and eighteen, fourth and seventeen, whatever it was. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I'm but not sure why stage. you had to bring that up. Yeah, it set the stage, yeah. though. So I, I think that adversity, they, and, and they had a bunch of injuries that year. Um, but, but I think that going through that kind of trial really set the stage, like you said, for the following year. And they went undefeated, and, yep. and they had a lot of players coming back, and, and this camaraderie and – and it was a it was a fantastic football team. I still think the 2004 team was a better team, but 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 that 2008 team was was really good. Uh, so so I think there is absolutely something to be said for getting through four or five games if you can 
and grinding through it and and figuring out that you can you can play and figuring out your weaknesses as well and building those into strengths in the off season um and and not to not to, not, not to forget that you know there's a there's a handful of these guys that have potential to to make a living to earn a living playing professional football and and so these guys need to be on tape i mean scouts need to need to be able to see these guys and so you know out outside of just the playing a college football season because it's good for kids and good for health and good mental health and everything else outside of all that you know you're you, 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 I think you'd want to figure out if there's a way to get these kids, you know, put, kind of put their resume on film. And so, they, you know, there's another reason to try and figure this thing out. And I think, you know, even with the, even with the COVID and, and the, the rising case numbers, we're still seeing, you know, really good signs of supremely low mortality rates in this age group. I think that's very encouraging. And so, I think there is some science that says, yeah, yeah, you can figure out a way to get through a, a football season, even if it's half a football season. Well, Frank, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for checking in. Man, these conversations, you know, in the midst of this craziness have been really interesting, even more interesting than they have been in the past. So I appreciate, appreciate you guys letting me come on and jabber with you for a little few minutes. Well, we appreciate having you on. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, you guys. Talk to you soon. Frank Dolce, former Ute quarterback, Utah insider for the Zone Sports Network. When we come back, everything you missed in this show in one quick segment. We'll get you up to speed. Stay with us. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Apparently, there is a bowling alley having a naked bowler night. What a surprise you picked this story. Well, that's unusual. Lisa's pet name for me is Bowler. There is one particular item of clothing that everyone must wear. Bowling shoes. Boy, that's one time you don't want to see Harry pick up the 710 split. (laughs) You have a one-track mind, you know that? How do I have a one-track mind? This is an unusual event. What sport would you most prefer to uh, I'm not, to, to, no, to I'm, not, I'm not participating. <laughs> what about naked axe throwing? <laughs> the Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Would we have liked it to have been different? Yes. All those students were tested uh, earlier in the week uh, for COVID. Um, you know, again, it, it's hard to stop students coming over uh, the fence. We don't have all the personnel uh, to, to make that a situation where nobody can come over the fence and onto the field. But again, uh, hopefully we got through it without any uh, ill effects. That's Brian Kelly, Notre Dame coach, told his players they're going to win the game. The fans are going to storm the field, get off the field. He has won a bunch of positive tests. Going into the next game and have the next game wiped out. We're seeing some college games already wiped out this week. Uh, in the uh, SEC, they've already canceled a game this week. They may end up uh, canceling a second game. So we'll see how that plays out. Mississippi State, Auburn is off. LSU, Bama is a, a maybe. LSU's got positive tests. And PK, you were offering up odds on the Utah-UCLA game going forward this week. 100%. He labeled it 50-50. Well, not- yeah, right. But you add that up, what do you get? <laughs> well, it does add up to 100. Good for you on that. I'm glad you didn't label it 60-30. I mean, that would have been weird. 
Now, with the Notre Dame folks, when they came over the fence, did they have masks? Uh, just looking on TV, it looked like most of them did. Not all of them. There were a few exceptions, but it looked like most of them did. I thought even before they came over oh, the wall, they, they were spread I out. I thought through. they were celebrating the presidential victory. They were spread out through the stadium, but then as the game went on, they were congregating behind the goalposts. So clearly people were moving down several rows, so they were all jammed in there together in the fourth quarter, even before they came onto the field. Well, isn't that what was happening all day Saturday? It was in some places. Depends on where you were. I mean, I saw a video in, uh, from New York on Twitter, and people were all spread out and honking horns and all that. But then you go to other cities, and it looked like, yeah, they were jamming into streets, and there were 5,000 people. Pennsylvania Avenue. That was packed. That was absolutely That's all I've packed. got to say. Yeah. Which is Where's weird, because... Is that in Oshkosh? Yeah, yes. Oshkosh, Wisconsin, yes. It's 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. It's uh, just outside of Scranton. 800's kind of the suburbs, and 200's downtown. Scran- I've been hearing Scranton a lot these days. Scranton. The Scranton's really oh, been, you've been the hot spot. Yeah, you've been watching The Office, huh? <laughs> no. I haven't watched one episode of The Office. Nor will I. So the college football this weekend, the Utes are three-point favorites over UCLA. Saturday night, 8.30. BYU's got a bye week. Question of the morning should BYU add games? Now, this week they played seven in a row, so Tom Holman made it clear this would be a week off. But after North Alabama, and let's face it, anybody who's dinged up, Lapini Coteau, we saw him limping off the field. You know, they, they can get past Northern Alabama without whoever they need to rest up for whatever reason. But then there's two more bye weeks. But PK, you're waving games off. Don't do it. Don't plug them in there. Yeah, I don't see any need to play another AAC team or a Sun Belt team. I just don't see the need. There's, there's really no positive, unless you want it for financial reasons. Now they, I, I want it. I want to see it. Yeah, to, we, want, we want games. But they've played seven home games. They've yeah, done course. the one for BYU. Well, they will do the one for BYU TV. They've done the six for ESPN, so that that contract's fulfilled. Now, it's a crazy year. ESPN might offer more money to play one more game. So I can't say there's no financial ramifications. They have lived up to their contract, but that doesn't mean you can't do a bonus game or something like that. If ESPN says, hey, we're trying to broker this, what do you think? Uh, they might get that call. But we ran through some of the schedules. Oh, yeah. And the Army game could be rescheduled. Yach indicated he's talked to somebody down there who says, yeah, BYU's already called Army, and Army wants no part of it. Army They're, has no interest in coming back out here. Down there. Down, down there. Down there. They don't want to come out here to play down there. Because <laughs> it wasn't just one game. It was going to be a home-and-home. Home. <laughs> right. So that kind of limits the opportunities there. Between the teams that have bye weeks, the teams whose conferences are going to let them play a non-conference game. We saw the whole brouhaha with Nebraska trying to schedule a non-conference game. So just cross the Big Ten off the list. That's not happening. Right. Right. It doesn't seem like there are many yeah. really good For options. For competitive reasons, yeah. I don't see a... Re- For competitive reasons, I'm speaking. Financial reasons... Now, that's another story. You guys are telling me they just laid off five people in the sports information department. I mean, that's a tragedy for all five of those folks who don't have a job this morning. Yep. Yes, they were uh, they were uh, contacted Sunday and told there was going to be a meeting Monday, and they'd heard about the possibility of furloughs, I was told, by one of the five. And that then uh, Monday morning, uh, it quickly became apparent, ooh, this is way worse than furloughs. 
So So it's permanent. Yes, yes, they are looking for work. Oh man, that sucks. That just that that's that sucks on every level. So if they feel like a need for money purposes, that's a whole other story. I'm speaking from competitive purposes. Well, I got to say that I am surprised, uh, and there's no way I didn't predict, nor would I have even come close to predicting, looking at their schedule in early September, that if they were 8-0, they'd be ranked 8th in the country. They've gotten a lot of mileage out of these eight wins. As you pointed out, well, they have really been thumping teams. Yawk had the number. Herb Street threw it out. 43-15 is the average score, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah 43-15. So they're winning these games by an average they're of 28 points. They're opponents. Zach Wilson has not been playing a lot of fourth-quarter football this year, nor have some of the other stars. That. He's only played in two, fourth, two entire games this year. Right. What was the, well, one of them would have been the UTSA. UTSA Houston. Oh, Houston, you're right. Houston. Yeah. That game was close enough. But they've gotten so much mileage out of it that I think in September the assumption was, hey, they'll need to play somebody to really confirm how good they are. But if the, uh, the coaches poll and the media poll are telling you the eighth best team in the country... Maybe you don't need to prove that much, especially given the teams you'd be allowed to play. You know, is there any point That's the in big playing thing right the, there? Right. Is there any point in playing the bottom of Conference USA or the bottom no. of the Sun Belt? If you could play the top of of one of these leagues, but that just doesn't look possible. No, uh, from the competitive standpoint, not the finan- financials—a whole other ball game. Uh, but the, from the competitive standpoint, what can you prove? Because you basically had your encore. You played your set, and then you had your encore Saturday night, <laughs> or Friday night, I should say, and you know that was you brought the house down. That went about as well as could be expected uh, from your perspective. If Boise would have had their starting quarterback, maybe it would have been a little more legit. But that's more on Boise. That's not on you. And offensively, you faced their defense and just lit them up. And so, what what more do you need to do? So I think that through the margin of victory, rather than the schedule, the margin of victory and the style points that you've put up, and they matter. So I think Kalani's done a good job of managing getting style points, but not totally humiliating the opposition, just shredding sportsmanship all to pieces. I mean, obviously Boise must have not have thought that. They asked him to pray after the game. You'd think that if they were that steamed and thought, oh, man, they ran up the score on us, blah, 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 they blah. They would have stomped off the field with steam coming out of their ears, and there would have been pictures of angry faces. Yeah. And Instead, so, there were 50 people kneeling on the logo at midfield. Right. So uh, I think they got it. So Kalani's done a, a good balance. And it's, you want to be in that position, oh, when do I pull my starters so I don't embarrass the opponent? That's a great position to be in. Because <laughs> so, that means yeah. when you're in the fourth quarter, there's zero stress in the game. Uh, early on when I was uh, just getting started and I was calling UC Santa Barbara games, there was a game, and I don't remember who they were playing, but they were, they were beating somebody pretty good. And I can remember thinking, don't want to dump on the alma mater, but it seems like they're kind of piling on now. And, and this goes right to what happened in the Boise State game. And I asked the coach about it, and it was off the air. But Polony says, I was looking down the bench. It's up to that team to wave the white towel. And the second they pull their starters – then, and I see their subs come to midcourt, then I'm going to turn and I'm going to tell these three guys who are, you know, down the bench, okay, you're in. But their guys have to go to midcourt first. And so you take that to the football game, well, if they're throwing deep, onsiding, and throwing deep again, then they're not sending their, their subs to, to midcourt to check in. 
You know, they're still going 100% full steam than we are. If they pull back even a little bit and say, okay, we're done, then the other team's got to pull back too. But if you're still throwing 50-yard touchdown passes, game on. All right, so we talked a little NFL this morning. The Jets 0-9, and PK, they only have two teams left on their schedule with losing records. Now, I know any given Sunday, or Thursday or Monday, uh, any given Sunday, Anybody can beat anybody, so they might take down a team that's five and three or six and two, but there don't look like there's not a lot of options left here. They get the Patriots again, I think, and they've got a bye week to get ready for the Chargers. And other than that, zero and sixteen seems doable. Okay, well that gets you the number one pick, that's for sure. Or trade the number one pick out and uh, see if you can get four or five players because you're the Jets and you're a ways away. Well, sure, but it still gets you the number, number one, one pick. pick. If you don't want to use it, that's your choice. But uh, yeah, and the Patriots are now three and five. Uh, they didn't look great. They barely won the game. Kicked a fifty-one yarder as time ran out to win it. Uh, you've seen him do that before, Nick Falk. Falk, yeah, down there in Arizona, he beat the where uh, uh, in Arizona down there. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> Tucson. Uh, he beat the Cougars. In, uh, I think that was the Cougars had two losses that season, right? That was the first game, Arizona. And then a week or two later, we all went back to Boston College. And they lost that game in overtime. So an NFL kicker beat them. And I believe Matt Ryan was the quarterback for Boston College at that time. And uh, John Beck got hurt that game. And uh, so that was the only two losses. But Folk has been a really good kicker for a good number of years. So I felt very confident that he was going to be able to make that. And sure enough, no problem. Is as you watch the kick from the yeah, he did. Go, he just he raises his hands right away. I mean, yeah, it was like seemed like it was three feet off his feet off his foot. <laughs> he knew it was good. He looked up and the arms went up and like, yeah, I did it. We're not playing overtime tonight, guys. Let's get out of here. Yep. Rookies of the year in baseball, uh, Mariners center field Kyle Lewis, 11 homers, 28 ribbies, led the big leagues with runs, total bases on base percentage. And Devin Williams, who struck out almost two out of every three batters that he retired, 53 strikeouts in 27 innings with an ERA of 0.33. That is, have you ever heard anything lower than that, PK? I don't ever remember hearing a number lower than that. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. All right, there you go. That's the show in one quick segment. When we come back, your feedback. People weighing in on a fall Masters and on BYU and scheduling. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The UNA Golf Masters giveaway continues. The prize, a putter. The brand of putter that the winner plays. Yak, we're going to qualify someone right now. Who are, the, who are people calling for right now? Hideki Moitsuyama. All right, there it is. Be caller 12 right now. You'll be paired with Hideki. And if he wins... Then you'll get the brand of putter that he plays. You got to be caller 12 right now, 855 340 Zone. 855 340 Zone. We're pairing 25 listeners with 25 players, and a 26th listener will be paired with the field. And then you watch the Masters and find out who wins the tournament and who wins the putter. So, caller 12 right now, 855 340 Zone. It is brought to you by UNA Golf, serving Utah Golf since 1971. All right, it is time for your feedback. What have you had to say about today's show? 
And we do have some Masters feedback. Uh, ESPN tweeted out uh, four photos from the Masters, three of which have uh, fall colors, PK trees that are uh, yellow and orange and red and just all sorts of colors there. And Brett tweeted back, beautiful as ever. And Jeff says, when I was there, there wasn't a single blade out of single blade of grass out of place, let alone a leaf on the ground. The place was perfect and far exceeded my considerable expectations. Man, that's a lot. Yeah. So have you got uh, you got a bucket list? And if so, where is the Masters on the bucket list? I don't have a list. Uh, it's just a bunch of things. that You name it, I would like to do it. I haven't traveled the world much, so that. I haven't been to the Masters, so that. So I don't know that I've have, I don't have a list where I define because the list would be 250 places long, and every one of them would be awesome. I don't know that I have to go here before I go there. Any chance I get to go anywhere, I would enjoy. The Rose Bowl, watching ASU win, check. You've already got that off the bucket list. Although you wouldn't mind a double check, I suppose. And a triple and a quad. And- <laughs> the quad. <laughs> Come on, Herm. We need a three-peat. Let's go. Uh, we were talking BYU wide receivers earlier this morning. We uh, have discussed this uh, in the last week or so, and we had Dylan Colley on today, so we brought it up with him, former BYU wide receiver. When's the last time BYU had two receivers who are this good? Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney, producing at a really high level. And Clint tweets in, before you guys were in the market, BYU receiver tandem blast from my past was Glenn Kozlowski and Mark Bellini. So they played together? Uh, apparently, according to Clint. I'll go with that. That was the early 80s, yeah. Because it seemed like there was 42 Bellinis. There were a number of them. Mark was the one that teamed up with Kozlowski. Was, it, was there only one Kozlowski? On only, well, Glenn's son played for BYU in the 90s, okay. but yeah. Okay. I know a little bit about that family. I have played softball with his sister, and I know his sister. And let me tell you, if Glenn is half as competitive as his sister, then that guy is one of the most competitive people that I've yeah, ever, been, I've ever I would have ever known. He's up there. <laughs> because his sister was a take-no-prisoners type of gal when we played softball together. <laughs> Uh, we got another. One. <laughs> we got another one here. So earlier, how did we start talking about hitchhiking? How did that happen? I don't remember how it started. I just know we ended up talking about hitchhiking. And you want to know if I had hitchhiked, and I said no. And Yach said yes. Uh, hitchhiking across Orm a couple times when he was a kid, although his mother would not appreciate hearing that. And uh, we get this tweet in Orm when you get picked up for hitchhiking. The only danger is they'll take you to church. So there you go. <sighs> Even on a Tuesday? <laughs> on a Tuesday. I hitchhiked frequently uh, as a, a youngster. I didn't have wheels. I hitchhiked from Flagstaff to Phoenix. I hitchhiked from uh, West Phoenix, North Phoenix to Tempe to go to college and get home during the summers because I didn't have a car. And so I hitchhiked frequently. Uh, one time I had a friend uh, from New Jersey was out visiting, and he wanted to go to California. And so we took him out to uh, the highway, the freeway, which was 10. 10 goes over to L.A., dropped him off, said, see you later. And uh, he hitchhiked over to L.A. I, uh, I rode the uh, bus from Santa Barbara to San Diego coming home from college when I was a freshman. Probably, wow. Probably would have been safer to hitchhike. Didn't do that a second time. I rode the bus from Jersey to Phoenix several times. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Jeez. 
All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hands and Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.